Hey, Cindy? Yes? You know how we have Mother's Day plans on Sunday? Mm-hmm. Kind of game seven on Sunday. Come on, are you serious? For real? Oh my God, Adam. <laughs> Gotta go! South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. So my Mother's Day plans are pretty much ruined, and uh, I guess I have the Toronto Raptors to thank for that. Welcome to the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the Stadium Scene.tv network and part of the Overtime Media crew. It happened again. Our backs are up against the wall. We are anxious and we are nervous. At least I am. Joining me to break down game six is Hunter Surplus of Take Six. Dude, are you okay? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, you know, I wish we would be doing this podcast on different terms right now. I wish we'd be, you know, celebrating a game six win, but instead... I, we're doing this in, in, in a game seven format and I'm not sure I'm too happy about it. I'm always happy talking to you here, Adam, but you know, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I thought, I thought it was over in six. I was so ready. I was at the bar with my buddies last night. I was so ready to, to finish that game and, and drink into all of my happiness, but I had to leave the bar with like 15 seconds left in the game and it was horrible. It was horrible. Yeah. Uh, I've been doing a lot of this lately, a lot of lately, um, you know, telling my wife, like, gonna have to change the Mother's Day plans. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, but look, it's, uh, this is, this is what comes with the territory as being a Toronto Raptors fan, right? We have to endure this. It wouldn't be a Raptors playoff series if we didn't experience this emotional turmoil. Yep. You are. Yeah. You're hundred percent. You hit the nail right on the head with that one. So you were at a bar watching this game and you were ready to uh, drown yourself in, in beer or whatever due to happiness. Instead, it was in sadness. Um, I don't know about you, but from the jump, I was like, no way. This game's over. Like As soon as the, the 76ers came out aggressive, I'm thinking to myself, the Raptors aren't matching this. Um, by no means did I think the game was over, but I, I, I sensed an immediate, uh, I don't know, aggressiveness and physicality that the 76ers were displaying that the Raptors just didn't have. I don't know if you caught on to the same thing. Yeah, hundred percent. And like, it's kind of been like that for most of the series, but the Raptors have been able to do something kind of each game to combat that obviously other than that, uh, game three loss where they got whooped uh, again for the first time they've pretty much been able to combat it in some way whether it's a really nice stretch of defense or shooting the lights out like they did in game five to or last night's game they 
didn't have an answer for it. They really didn't do anything that really stood out other than, you know, a few stretches here and there that got shut down immediately. The physicality just wasn't there. Like you said, they were not rebounding the ball. They weren't defending with any physicality. They weren't playing offense with any physicality. Like it was, they just, they seemed like a totally different team than they did in game five. And it was not, not nice to see. What I noticed also from the jump was the lack of, oh, put it this way. I noticed that Philly's crowd was intimidating as fuck. Like I noticed that they were super loud, super ready for this game. And it makes me miss like 2015-16 ACC Toronto Raptors crowd because so far it hasn't been nearly as loud. Like you're a Blue Jays fan, so you remember, you know the the bat flip moment in that whole playoff series with the Blue Jays. There was a term called Toronto loud, and it sort of carried over into the Raptors season, um, into that playoff run against the Cavs when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals in six games. Like there was a term Toronto loud that just isn't present right now. What do you think is the reason for that, and do you think that's going to change Game 7 on Sunday? I think the reason for it, to be honest, might just be that people were so sure that this was a a, a sure thing with Kawhi Leonard, right? They didn't feel that they needed to really hop on DeRozan's back. They didn't need to hop on Lowry's back. Or maybe it's just the fact that these guys aren't really homegrown guys. Their whole team is a new team. Some of those people who have been following this team maybe more casually that get really into it in the playoffs, they didn't have that emotional connection like they did with the old Toronto Raptors teams with DeRozan and and Lowry and Valanciunas kind of leading the way there. Those are kind of the two reasons why I think. And do I think it's going to be different in Game 7? Like I, I sure hope so. If they can't get up for a Game 7 at home, I don't know what they're going to get up to. And you mentioned that uh, 2015-16 season where we played LeBron in the Eastern Conference Finals. He shouted out the the Raptors fans after that game in an inter- in the post game interview. He's he getting did, asked yeah. questions, and he's like, "Man, just listen to this." Like, he I cut don't- off the question entirely. Yeah, he cut it off entirely, and he I don't even think he answered it right. And he was basically just like, "Listen to this. This is the best thing. These fans are amazing." And you're right. You're 100 right. We haven't seen that same energy, and I like I don't know if it's because they've thought it's a sure thing or because you know they didn't have that emotional connection or maybe we've just been trained to not get too excited about this Raptors team if and like I said if they can't get up for a game seven I don't know I don't know what Raptors fans are going to be able to get up for thankfully I'm going to be in the crowd there uh with my mom on Sunday that's kind of our uh our Mother's Day thing. So it kind of worked out. Yeah, it kind of worked out for me. So I know the two of us are going to be real loud. Uh, we'll be trying to fire up the rest of our section, but we'll see how that goes. I hope they can get loud, man. Because you're right, Philly's crowd was was exceptional. It's been exceptional all series long. And and to to go off what we kind of started off with, when they brought that physicality right out of the gate, that as soon as that run happened, I was like, their crowd's into it. We're, I don't know if we can stop this. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, a side note here, uh, Peter K of Life and Repeat will be at that game, so you should hook up with him yes. and, uh, yes. you know, toast a few beers beforehand. But the thing is, um, I've noticed that, you know, with this crowd, so I'm not in the region, you are, you know, and so I try to keep my finger on the pulse as much as possible when it comes to feeling out how uh, Torontonians, I guess you could say, 
are uh, gauging this team. And I like to gauge the fanhood. And it seems to have been increasing ever so slightly every year. Um, but like we've been saying, there is a disparity between how the crowd has been in previous years compared to this year. Um, I'm wondering if this is... If the case is legitimately the hiking up in ticket prices, how there are more suits involved now in the crowds, like it's more of a corporate feel, do you sense that? Or is it just people aren't showing up? Because what I'm seeing on Twitter is there are a lot of people, uh, I still want to call it Jurassic Park, um, watching the game, and people are saying those people, those fans, ought to be the ones in the crowd because they are showing up and they are loud. Whereas the people that have bought the tickets, you know, for the majority of the case and are sitting down, they're not nearly as vocal and that's hindering perhaps the Toronto Raptors performance. Cause there is something to be said about like the home court advantage. You want your crowd on your side and it does sort of have an intangible effect. So I don't know. Do you, do you agree with that statement or am I just way off course here? No, yeah, 100%. And I kind of have uh, two points to go with that. I think with all of the NBA, uh, it's kind of turning to a more young demographic, right? Young 20s, the teenagers, maybe early 30s kind of thing. I think that's kind of where they're trying to market to. That's, you know, all of the social media stuff that goes on. It's very geared towards young people becoming fans. And, and sure. I feel that the younger demographic has really done a good job in, in becoming fans and really latching on to the NBA as a whole. And not just the Toronto Raptors This is in every city that there's basketball and worldwide, whatever. And I think this kind of is twofold here, the expensive ticket prices, especially in the playoffs and especially in Toronto, the young fans, which is predominantly what you're seeing in Jurassic park right is the younger fans they're the 20 year olds the teenagers the 30 year olds mm -hmm. they're generally the ones in Jurassic park they're going nuts and you're right the suits are filling the seats because all these tickets are sold corporately i think uh, i read something earlier this year that 95 percent of like scotia banks tickets that are sold are either sold to corporate or sold to like ticket vendors like Ticketmaster, stubhub seat geeks whatever so like that is a big percentage of the population that is getting these tickets and you only get what, like four or 5% able to buy these for their retail prices, which are obviously cheaper than what you can get on SeatGeek and Ticketmaster because they have, you know, supply and demand. Right. Right. So I, I'm a hundred percent there with you The I've said this many times that the corporate stranglehold that MLSE has on the Scotiabank arena and the fans is ridiculous. And I don't think that's going to change in Toronto because they just keep making the money. They don't really care. As long as that crowd is full, which it will be, since 95% of these tickets are being sold to corporations or the, these ticket places, they're all going to be sold. They're going to get the revenue regardless. So I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference in terms of like them actually changing anything or lowering the tickets or allowing these people from Jurassic Park to come in. But I, it, I definitely do think that it it hinders it. And we saw it with the Leafs. You saw it with um, the the Jays a little bit there in their 2015-16 runs. Everyone's saying that the real fans, quote-unquote, can't really come in. And and it, it sucks to see because obviously there are a lot of people, a lot of my friends, you know, myself, we can't really afford going to too many games because it's, you know, I don't want to cut off my arm and cut off my leg to right, right, right. go see the Raptors. Yeah, you got to pick and choose. Um, 
For sure. And you know what? The saving grace here, and I don't want to speak in absolute terms. This is by no means like an absolution when it comes to how the fans are and the demographic that that are all there, right? There are pockets such as yourself, and like, as I mentioned, Peter Kay will be there in Game 7 who will be vocal, and I assume you will be, as you mentioned, and, you know, that are true diehard fans and will pay the cost of the ticket, you know, given the situation. Obviously, it's going to be tough for... Uh, I don't, I don't want to speak for you, but for the for the layman or for the the you know the casual fan to go to four out of seven NBA playoff games, that's difficult. That's a tough ask. Um, so I'm hoping that being it as it's going to be Mother's Day, right? Maybe the corporate crowd's just kind of like, oh, I already have plans. It's not worth going to a Raptors game because I have these plans with my family. Like like they prioritize that. And I'm not trying to shoot anybody down that does do that, but you see what I'm saying. Yeah, like yeah. the the corporate crowd might not see a Raptors game seven as an important venture when it comes to already made plans or probably reservations or whatnot when it comes to perhaps family plans on Mother's Day. Yeah. And I, you know, maybe they'll give their tickets to their cousin who they know really right. likes the Raptors or their brother or whatever, or their sister for that matter. Like, and maybe that will uh, play into a thing here, but then again, maybe they won't give the tickets away and maybe it'll just be an empty seat there, which would be even worse. Right. Don't give me that. <laughs> <laughs> I want none of that. This is the overtime podcast network. All right, let, let's move away from the crowd. I want to talk about game six. Um, we mentioned how Philly came out very physical and aggressive, and they were, um, you know, pretty much guns blazing from the jump. What did you notice from the Toronto Raptors that really made uh, this game fall flat? Because a lot of people say, and, you know, I'm guilty of this as well, but it's it's really easy to blame Nick Nurse and his rotations and whatnot. I didn't see that this game. I didn't see anything that Nick Nurse did wrong, save for maybe not immediately go with the Gasol and Bede pairing through and through. He sort of strayed away from that. But otherwise, you know, it was the Toronto Raptors on the floor that lost this game. Like, Nick Nurse isn't missing these shots. Nick Nurse is enforcing these turnovers. Nick Nurse isn't lacking the offensive rebounds or the defensive rebounds even. So I, I just, maybe I just stole the thunder here, but what did you notice that the Toronto Raptors did to pretty much earn this loss? Well, I think it's, like you said, they just kind of missed their open shots, right? Like, they are the worst wide-open shooting team in the league so far. Like, outside of the Utah Jazz and, um, like, the Detroit Pit, all the bad team. Like, all the teams that, like, weren't really playoff teams in the East, but kind of made it in. They're, yeah, but got there. And then, like, the Utah Jazz, they are the worst open field goal, like, open, wide-open Defender with like six feet away from you, worst field goal percentage in the playoffs so far, which is a testament to how bad they've shot, right? Like throughout the season, they shot something like 45% on wide open shots, which was like third or fourth in the league. And now they're coming in and they're eighth, ninth uh, in the league in terms of that. And that's, that's the biggest thing, really. Like, I think it's as simple as that offensively. They're getting the shots that they want. Defensively, they aren't necessarily, like, or at least in last game, they weren't making the stops needed to get open in transition where these guys really strived in game five. And I think that was the biggest thing because even when they did get in transition, like when they did have those really nice defensive plays where they maybe stopped uh, Philly four out of five 
possessions or five of six, whatever it was, uh, they were able to get out there and go on a run themselves, right? When they had those 8-0 runs, those 10-0 runs, is basically because they made stops on the defensive end, were able to get out there. Philly's defense wasn't set, score buckets, hit threes, but they're just not making their wide open shots. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like, obviously, we can talk about rebounding. We can talk about all these different things. Nick Nurse not doing what fans really want him to do, but they're just not hitting their wide open shots, which this team was so good at this season. And I don't know if it's the playoff nerves or if it's just one of those things, right? That just happens. But like, you, you said it, like you said all the things and then the wide open shots is to me the biggest thing. They're shooting 20, well, sorry, they shot 25% from three. They were nine of 36 from three. You can't have that. You can't, especially after a bounce back performance by the likes of Danny Green, Mark Saul, Kyle Lowry, and even Fred Van Vliet to a certain degree in game five. Like that type of shit should carry over. Those types of performances should carry over. You should have a confidence factor in those performances that carries over into game six. Uh, moreover, we touched on the rebounds. Philly had a total of 52 rebounds compared to Toronto's 34. 34 rebounds for the Toronto Raptors compared to 52. That is insane. Right? And offensively, Philly had 16 offensive rebounds. 16. I don't have the numbers that resulted in a putback, but I do remember seeing Ben Simmons crowding the paint and getting a bunch of putbacks, a bunch or a bunch of alley-oops. You can't have that, right? And compared to the Raptors, nine offensive rebounds? Where is the intensity in this team? Where is the the the, the full force and the physicality of this team? Because you're not going to beat the 76ers without that sense of phys- uh, sorry physicality. This is... Philly basketball, we hear it preached about Kyle Lowry all the time. This don't poke the bear physicality uh, style that, you know, once once he's roughed up a bit, he amps it up. That's the same thing what we're seeing with the 76ers, right? They're bringing the physicality and they're feeding off of it. I can't imagine a situation where the Toronto Raptors aren't equally as physical or more physical like they sort of were in game five they were very aggressive as you mentioned in game five they were waiting to shove it down their throats that just wasn't there they look shook they look intimidated by the moment they looked intimidated by the crowd by the style and the aggressiveness and the quick pace that philly was displaying on the court or maybe they just came out relaxed like that's sort of what's itching at my brain here is that maybe they thought this game was in the bag because of how well they performed game five. So I don't know if they were fully prepared for the moment. I'm catching a lot of heat on Twitter when I say things like they just didn't want it bad enough. That's just what I see. I saw that on the, it just didn't seem like the Raptors were there or, or they, they mentally, they were just seemed checked out. I don't know if you saw the same, same thing. Yeah, and we talked about it when when we talked about their Philly's hot start, right? It's just like they didn't come out hot, and that's what you needed. You would expect them to come out hot in a series-deciding game, really. Like, if they win that, they're, they have an extra couple of days of rest. They have an extra bit of time to watch film on Giannis and the Bucks, And that's what you presumably would want more than anything coming out of this series because Philly is a very physical team. Milwaukee, not necessarily as physical as Philly, but they're just as big, just as strong. They're going to make you run. They're going to make you work to win a game. You need those extra days of rest. You need that series to not go seven games so that you can really focus and hone in 
on, you know, arguably the best player in the league right now. I I would say it's Kawhi Leonard, but you can make the argument for Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I wouldn't be totally mad at you. And one thing on on the rebounds there that you kind of mentioned, um, for me, the rebound situation defensively was very tactical last game. And here's here's kind of why I say that is whenever they would have pick and rolls with, say, Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler, yep. a very good pick and roll duo that they have. If Jimmy Butler was the ball handler and Kyle Lowry is, is on Jimmy Butler, what they would do is Kyle Lowry would switch back onto Ben Simmons and have, say, if Pascal Siakam or Kawhi Leonard's on Ben Simmons, they would go out and they would be the one trying to contest a shot of Jimmy Butler, leaving Ben Simmons on Kyle Lowry. And usually Embiid is floating around that mid-range area rather than right in the paint. So you don't have that big guy in Marcus Gasol or Serge Ibaka there. So you're basically left with Danny Green, Kyle Lowry, and either Siakam or Kawhi Leonard. And Kawhi Leonard's a really good rebounder, but when you have guys like when you have Simmons coming in there, you have Joel Embiid going in there, Tobias Harris and uh, Ben Simmons at some points, it's a, it's a very tough rebounding matchup to have, especially if the ball is going towards Kyle Lowry or towards Danny green, rather than if it's going to a guy like Marcus Gasol in the paint. And to me, that was a big thing that happened on the rebounds that I saw time and time again, where they would switch Kyle Lowry into that position. And then Jimmy Butler would just put it up. Yeah. And either Ben Simmons picks up that rebound against the putback dunk or Joel Embiid comes flying in there. Who's uh, quite a bit quicker than Marcus all. And it was just those little things that happened that was just like, all right, maybe you should not do that. And maybe <laughs> you should have Kyle Lowry contest that because Ben Simmons has been out rebounding everybody on the offensive boards. Yeah. They got to stick to the man that they're defending because if they don't and they let them loose, well, this is going to be the result. Um, this may have been like I know the stat sheet doesn't scream it, but this may have been the worst game for each member of the starting lineup. Like this playoff series, it just I, maybe it's the result of like I said the runs that Philly had and how aggressive they were. It just felt off, right? And when you look at the final score, the Raptors only lost by eleven points. But it I feel like that's doing the Raptors favors. When you look at the this, the the box score and the score in general, like you seem, if you see it, you're like, oh, they didn't do that bad. They only lost by 11 points. Oh no, they did. <laughs> they did pretty bad. Um, you know, Kawhi Leonard, to his credit, had 29 points, but it just didn't seem like he was that force that we're familiar with. That is bodying himself into the paint and just has that that fearlessness factor there. Um, Pascal Siakam, again, to his credit, had 21 points, but at the same time, he felt off to me. It just didn't feel like a performance that I could walk away from and say, I'm really confident in Game 7. Obviously, and I don't want to jump too much ahead, but obviously I'm going to pick them to win Game 7. But I got to say, you know, there, there was that Game 3 loss that they got blown out. And this Game 7 loss that they didn't get blown out. But I still feel less confident after this game. Yeah, me too. And and you mentioned kind of the non-dominance from either Kawhi or Pascal Siakam, and you're totally right. And I think for whatever reason it was last night, but they didn't look physically dominant against the Sixers. Like obviously Kawhi Leonard has that, had that nice dunk on Tobias Harris, but he also got blocked a couple times by Joel Embiid. Pascal oh, yeah. Siakam got blocked by Joel Embiid. And that was a big block. Siakam did not look as fast against whoever was guarding him as he usually does his spin move he had a real a couple really nice spin moves but it seems like they might have not figured him out but 
been able to contain what Siakam can do in terms of his, you know, signature move. And Kawhi Leonard, I mean, just some of his shots weren't falling. He made a lot of really nice moves. He had a couple turnaround jumpers that we've seen fall so many times this season and so many times this series and playoffs that just weren't falling. And I don't know if it was because of the crowd or because of, you know, they were already down, whatever, and he was kind of just forcing up these shots. But you're totally right. The I've been I've been saying this literally all day to everyone I've talked about. The score does not do the 76ers any justice because they absolutely killed the Raptors. After the first quarter, I was like, yeah, that's about it. This is probably 20 to 25 point win, but it only ended up being 11 all because of the garbage time minutes that were won by McCaw, Powell, and uh, you know Malcolm Miller and Meeks, yeah. I guess, was in there as well. But you're you're listing the guys, some of the only guys, if not the only guys, that were in the plus column. Every single starting, oh uh, yeah, <laughs> every single member yeah. of the starting lineup were in the minus column. Um, but whatever. Look, if I'm going, I don't want to make it seem too gloomy here. If I'm going to grasp at positives. The Raptors did go on a couple of big runs. Like they did cut the score to like eight points at one point. Um, and I think Mike they did Hunt, that a couple. They did that multiple times. Like they, they had did. the score to eight a bunch of different times. Yep, yep. And at this time, it wasn't a result of a bad substitution by Nick Nurse that made the the disparity grow. You know, and that's what gives me confidence is that I feel like Nick Nurse knows what to do. Right, like I said, save for not constantly and consistently comparing uh, uh, Embiid with Gasol, I feel like he's doing okay now. It, it took a while to adjust, but I think right now he's kind of at the point where what else can I do, right? And that's why I don't really pin this loss on him. So if we're going to look at positives, Nick Nurse is you know, starting to make those adjustments and he's coaching well. Uh, the Raptors went on a run and this is going to be on their home court. Do any of these things give you hope that they can pull this out for Game 7? Yeah, I mean, the home court factor is a really big advantage. Um, I mean, this series, the home court has pretty much held. Obviously, the Raptors won in Philly and the Philly won in, in Toronto, but mm -hmm. home court, for the most part, is held, and that's because of the good crowds that both teams really have, and I know we kind of shat on the, the Raptors crowd. They're just a little bit at the yeah. beginning, but... In reality, they are pretty good. And and I was there for game five and the crowd was amazing. They were taunting Embiid, and that's one of the best things ever because I absolutely hate Joel Embiid. Were you doing the airplane? Oh, I I, <laughs> I thought I was gonna be the only one in the crowd doing it. And then my buddy, he's like, Oh my god, Drake's doing the airplane. You just like you started it. He saw you. I know. And I was like, Oh my god, this there is the go. best. Yeah. So that was that was great. And like I don't know if it was just because I was up in in the nosebleeds where all the fun people are, but like it was loud, it was rowdy, and um, yeah, like I think home court is going to play a big factor into that. The refs usually, you know, if there's a if there's a flop or if something happens, if Joel Embiid flops, they show it on the big screen. The ref might make a couple calls differently on Joel Embiid to kind of show him up, and you know maybe if the raptors flop they aren't they definitely aren't going to show it on the big screen and the the refs won't see that they won't try to show up whatever player it is because they didn't know that it was a flop quite yet so i think there's a little factors when it comes to being on home court and usually the raptors when they've been i mean when they've been blown out this series and obviously when they lost that game in orlando they've come back very well and i think Kawhi leonard is going to have a massive game. I know I tweeted this, and I feel so bad for doing it, and I feel very <laughs> selfish and greedy. And <laughs> this this 
this game six loss is all my fault. But I think Kawhi Leonard in game seven is going to be astonishing. I think it's going to be one of the best things that we could see as Raptors fans that basketball fans are going to see this whole playoffs. It, it might be this game seven where Kawhi Leonard really turns it on. And we've seen some fantastic plays already from him. And pretty much every game that this guy's played has been outstanding. I think game seven, he's going to take it to a whole nother level because you know, they, he's just experienced. He knows what it is. He's a finals MVP. I think I saw a stat today where like we have five, we have five or three guys who have played three or more game sevens and like Philly only has one in JJ Reddick. So I think that's going to be a factor as well. Nick nurse, hopefully, you know, is going to be able to coach on, on his home soil a little bit better than he has earlier in the season. But yeah, I've got, I've got the Raptors. I didn't want to, I don't know if we're going to be picking anything here, but yeah. Yeah. I'll put it out there. I've got Raptors. This is the overtime podcast network. Well, there's a little bit of deja vu, not to rip off the title of this episode, but there's a little bit of deja vu when it comes to this, right? The second round of a playoff series, Raptors 76ers. Uh, in fact, in 2001, it was held on May 20th, Game 7, um, and it was in Philadelphia. The roles seem to be flipped here, right? I, I do believe that the Raptors have <clears throat> the better overall talent on their side. Um, no one's graduating on Sunday that we know of. Um, no one's getting any special degrees, and everybody's <clears throat> pretty much in line to come out swinging. So hopefully there's a sense of retribution, right? And maybe the basketball gods will be of the mind of, we owe the Raptors one this time, so let's uh, let's give it to them. Um, but I do agree with you. I do think that Kawhi, he's built for this, right? He's born for these moments that he can just take over and be that leader. We've seen it time and time again. But I would, I guess maybe I'm a little bit greedy in which I would really like to see a team effort like we saw in game five. And I think that would do wonders for their confidence, um, even though that's sort of a contradiction based on what happened in game six. But when you are moving on to face a Milwaukee Bucks squad, I think that the team would be way better off knowing that they're in it together and the team has been shown showing up as a whole going into Milwaukee than maybe just relying on Kawhi Leonard. I, I don't know if, if you have any hesitations there, um, but I do think in this respect, this is sort of serendipitous, right? It's poetic that the Raptors-Sixers rematch, like a revenge game from 2001. I think this is going to be probably, and I don't know if this is hyperbole, the most important game in franchise history, literally. So I I kind of, I'm actually writing something about this not being the most important game in franchise wow. history. Yeah. Okay. And it's, it's mainly because like now that we've been to the conference finals already, we've, we've taken that step. And obviously this means so much because Kawhi Leonard might be gone. This might be the one year where we actually have a chance at a finals run, all that kind of stuff. But it's not like after this game, we're going to be in the finals. We're not just going to be shot right into the finals, right up against Golden State or Houston, or I guess Portland or Denver for that matter, depending on who comes out of the West. Mm -hmm. But we did kind of have that chance in 2015-16 against LeBron. There was that moment where you were kind of like, you know what? This was all before LeBronto and all that kind of stuff where we still had the emotion and, and the belief in this Raptors team to be able to beat LeBron. 
So I would argue that some of those games in that series, and I'm thinking probably game six was the most important game in franchise history. Like as I'm trying to do the math in my head right here, I think game six is probably the most important in franchise history. We could have extended that series onto a game seven. And as you know, everybody knows anything can happen in game sevens. Maybe if we extend that series, we beat LeBron and we make it to the finals for the first time ever. And Maybe we don't have Kawhi Leonard on this team right now, but we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> but I do think that, you know, this is probably, it, this it's up there. And it, you know, to a lot of people, it is the most important game in the in the franchise history. And I agree, like, it's, it's, it's cool. It's poetic. Like you said, it's a very cool thing to see happen, you know, basically almost uh, uh, 10, 20 years later. Sorry, not 10 yeah. years. Um, it's cool. And yeah, you're right. The tables have turned. We have the the superstar player in Kawhi Leonard, which I guess plays Allen Iverson in 2001. And I don't know. I, I don't know who would be Vince Carter on, on the Sixers, but like whoever it is, is going to miss a, probably. Yeah, yeah, he's going to miss a shot. I know for a fact, he'll miss a shot at the end of the game, whether it's do or die or not, but it's going to happen. Yeah. See, I can see the logic in that we, the North era team up against LeBron and the Cavs in game six, you know, because maybe things would have been different if they went to the finals and whatnot. And let's not forget that was a contract year for DeMar DeRozan, and we yeah. weren't sure what was going to happen with him. There, like much like Kawhi, there were rumors about DeMar going to L.A., albeit this time for to the Lakers. But um, I, I do disagree, though, respectfully, because I do think that right now this is the best team we've ever had in franchise history, and it all falls on the shoulders of. Kawhi and if Kawhi leaves that leaves a huge question mark as to how we're going to navigate the future moving forward like what is Masai going to do is he going to try to trade for someone else is he going to try to uh, sign another all-star marquee player I don't know but I do know that with the bird in hand right now so much is riding on this right because this is going this game right here will dictate at this point rather um, if we lose, it will dictate whether or not this season, this trade, to many people, maybe not you and I, but to many people, um, is or was successful, right? And whether or not it was worth it. Now, regardless of the outcome on Sunday, I think that this was worth it. I think it, no matter what the trade, trading away DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard, even if he doesn't resign, no matter what happens, it was worth it, right? We got to see greatness in Toronto Raptors that we have never seen before. But I do understand that in in terms of a business mode here, uh, we might be second guessing what to do with uh, the team moving forward. Is it a is it a rebuild moment after that? Are we going to sell off assets in order to rebuild around Pascal Siakam? There are a lot of question marks moving over. So I think in that aspect, there's a lot more uncertainty as to the future of the Toronto Raptors compared to uh, 2016 after Game Six. Yeah, and that's a like that's a perfect argument to be made right there, right? Like all the uncertainty, you have no idea, and that's kind of where I I was flip flopping um, before, kind of sticking my flag in the ground and saying no, I don't think it is the most important. But like I said, like you can make that argument to me, and I I won't really argue back because both answers to me are are pretty much right. Like I think it's probably you know, one A in fifteen mm. sixteen and then probably one B right now because of what you said. Like in terms of I think importance, like if it were to be if this were like a game seven in 
Milwaukee next series, right? That is the most important game. Or if it's game game three and we're tied 1-1, that's the most important game. Just because it is just a matter of of firsts right right like we've been to the conference finals this toronto has has tasted the conference finals before and like yeah this is the best team ever but if they don't make it past the the semifinals the conference semifinals then maybe they're not the best team as MLN. like obviously that's not true but like the layman the person who doesn't follow the team as much the casual fan in in 20 years from now might just be like, yeah, no, I think that 2015-16 team, while maybe not as stacked at the top of their roster, was assembled better and was better placed in terms of winning playoff games because they did have two really tough opponents. Obviously, they're not as good as the Sixers team, I don't think, but they played the Pacers in round one. That was uh, the Paul George Pacers. They were really good. That Norm Powell dunk was fantastic. And they played a really tough Miami Heat team where... Dwayne Wade was obviously kind of nearing the end of his prime and whatnot. And then obviously the Cavs and LeBron. And I think like that's not, that's people kind of glance over that and say, yeah, that was like, it's kind of shocking that they went to seven games in both those series. But like, uh, to me, it's not really. And like, I don't know, just the whole tasting, you know, being able to taste the finals in that game against, or in that series against the Cavaliers is kind of what just puts it just that much higher than this game in this series. I, I can see that for sure. And I think that the reason why I weigh this one a little bit heavier is because um, at the end, in the conclusion of that Eastern Conference Finals um, after Game 6, I wasn't upset. Like, I still had this overwhelming sense of achievement, right? Because that's the first time we got there. The crowd was even uh, very proud of the team. They were chanting, you know, let's go Raptors, and that's when LeBron had that interview, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Um, I, I do think that there was an overwhelming sense of achievement amongst Toronto Raptors fans that they were like, we made it this far. Oh, we're just one piece away. We can build on this. It's only up from here. Whereas this right now, if we lose Sunday, it's going to break a lot of people's hearts. Like, I, it would not surprise You'll be there, Right. If if and I don't want I feel so uncomfortable putting don't this out. Don't say it. Don't universe. say it. I know what you're all saying. Right, all right, all right, everyone, right. everyone here will know what you're saying. Just don't say <laughs> all it. Right, I'm not gonna say it, but you will see grown men cry. I'm not I'm not quite a grown man. I'm twenty years old. I, I haven't put myself <laughs> in the grown man category yet, and I will confirm by that, law you are a grown yeah, man. But <laughs> by law, <laughs> legally grown men will cry. Yes. Or a or a grown man will cry. <laughs> <laughs> if it's just me, I understand. Raptors we can't confirm fans. that though. We yeah. can't confirm nor deny that it will no, be you. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> no video evidence. It is not me. But you, you see what I'm saying? Like the, the the crowd and the fan base will be deflated because I do think so much has been riding this year on whether or not Kawhi Leonard will stay. And I don't get that same, I didn't get that same sense rather in 2015-16 with DeMar. Like I know there were rumors about him going to LA, but there was still a part of me that was just like, this guy's not leaving. Like there's no way he's leaving. Like th- we, we built around him. We've given him everything that he's needed for years, right? But there's still this question mark about Kawhi because he's so enigmatic and we and the rumors about him going to LA are a little bit more... Uh, They're louder than they were for uh, DeMar back in 2015-16. So I do think that there's this fear and sense of anxiety when it comes to Raptors fans about this. Uh, We're sort of like beating this to death. I'm not trying to change your mind. But I do feel that Raptors fans are 
at least going to be a little bit more, uh, I, I, I don't know, fearing the unknown after this series compared to 2015-16. Is that fair? Yeah, I don't think there. If if the unspoken does happen, I don't think there will be any "Let's Go Raptors" chance at the end yeah. of this game. Right? Maybe yeah. "Let's Go Blue Jays." Maybe. Yeah. Maybe uh-huh. Kawhi Leonard, please sign with us. We'll give you anything you want. Maybe yeah. those chance, but that might be too long <laughs> for everyone to say. Yeah. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right. Um, well, with that, let's get into predictions. I, I think it's clear what we're going to say. We're saying Raptors. Uh, winning game seven, but I'm going to take it a little step further and you sort of touched on it. Raptors fourth quarter up by one. Jimmy Butler misses a buzzer beater. Is that bold? No, I think it's going to happen. All right. It's yeah, it's just, it has to happen or else the basketball gods are not real. Poetic justice, man. Exactly. And I, if that, and to be fair, if that happens, I don't know if I'll be able to watch that last shot. If it comes down to one, final shot i might be just like so anxiety ridden and just like sad Close that your eyes and listen. Them out. yeah like yeah. if there's a cheer i know what happened if there's no cheer i just will walk out without looking at the score <laughs> oh god it it's never easy it's just not it can't be easy when it comes to the toronto raptors it just can't man and and we signed up for this, right? We we could have chosen a different team to follow. We could have chosen someone else, some more reliable team. We could be bandwagon fans right now and just, you know, digging the flag into the sand for the Golden State Warriors if we wanted to. But God damn it, we're sticking with this team. And win or lose, I I, I will stick with them. But I got to tell you, man, we mentioned the, the fear of the unknown. This is going to be tough. And I'm not going to say it, but it's going to be tough. It is going to be tough, but it's going to be, you know what? A lot of people say that the best two words in sports are game seven. And I call a fat load of bullshit on that because (laughs) when it's your team and you cheer for the Toronto Raptors, that is not the best two words in sports. It is the most terrifying. Do you get the sense that if we win this series or if we're going to be confident about it when we win this series, like, it's is sort of against Milwaukee. Just like, ah, what the fuck ever, man? We made it. We made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Are you going to be like, no, fuck this. It's it's reset. Let's go. Because there's a part of me that's like, let's just win this game. I don't care what happens after this. Let's just fucking win this game. Because I do feel there's a sense that maybe Kawhi will be more inclined to stay if we make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Right? If we lose this round, there's no fucking chance he's staying. Yeah, you got you got to take the mindset of the players here, and you got to take it one game at a time. All right, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> take it one game at a time. All I care about is this game seven. If you know, I've said this since I think since like midway through the season that if Pascal Siakam dunks on Giannis, we're gonna win the finals, and that's all I want to see. If there is at any moment in this series, they could be down. And I'm not gonna. They could be down three nothing to Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Finals, and like down ten points with three seconds left in the game, and Pascal Siakam dunks on Giannis. We're still gonna somehow come out and win the NBA Finals. It's gonna happen. All right, all right. I'm counting on you, man. You're Hunter <laughs> Stradamus here. I'm I'm counting on you. Yes. Um, yes, sir. All right. Well, with that said, um, I want to take this opportunity to uh, 
you know, wish you good tidings to the game. I hope you have fun. I hope you and your mother have fun. And I hope that for your sake and her sake, you guys have a great Mother's Day. And everybody listening, have a great Mother's Day. I was able to, I know in the jump of the show, I had like a little skit, but I was able to, you know, sort of uh, change course plans with my wife. This is her first year being a mom. So I know how important that is for her. Um, my mom's still living, thankfully. So we made it a Mother's Day brunch thing. And I was able to put an order in for some gourmet donuts. So all is well. I have from all day until 7 o'clock to really stress out about this. But I'm stressing out with family. And I hope that you and your mom and everybody listening has a great day. Um, that being said, you know the deal. This is your time to shine. You can promote any and everything going on. Where can people find you on Twitter? And more importantly, where people can buy you some beer at the game. So go for it. Floor is yours. <laughs> uh, so first off, I want to say, you know, happy Mother's Day to your wife and your mother. I'm, I know for a fact that they're listening. They have yeah. to be. Um, so yeah, first off, happy Mother's Day to them. I hope you guys have a great brunch uh, uh, and that you don't miss Adam all that much from you know seven to ten ish roughly um depending on the outcome maybe a little bit after as well but yeah go to takesix.org you can find all of our blog posts our podcasts our articles whatever you want to call it up there obviously wherever you guys listen to your podcast you can find us just search take six if you're sick of hearing my voice i totally understand i do have a co-host however most of the time so uh, it's not just my, uh, it's not just me talking that whole time. Uh, on Twitter, you can go at take underscore six. I will be at the Raptors game, so if you're there and you follow me on Twitter, shoot me a DM. We can probably grab a beer. And Peter K from Life and Repeat, I promise you, I'm going to be wearing my Life and Repeat T-shirt. Attaboy. I have not. I, <laughs> I just washed it this morning, so I do know it will be clean. I'll, I'll have it under my Pascal Siakam jersey. So if I see you there, and you want proof. Uh, It'll, it'll be on. I promise you. I promise you. boy. All right. Well, that being said, dude, enjoy the game. Everybody listening, enjoy the game. And for the sake of the just being a Toronto fan, enjoy it. Enjoy it. I'm not going to put out into the universe as to why, but just enjoy it. Enjoy watching Kawhi Leonard in a Toronto Raptors uniform. That's all I'm going to say. That's it. And with that, man, thank you for hopping on, and uh, we'll talk soon, man. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Jays and Raptors. Thank you.